Hi, on the 5th and 6th of June, 2024, I'll be speaking at the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, at the iconic Marina Bay Sands. Alongside brilliant minds like Edward Snowden, Benedict Devon, and Balaji Srinivasan, I'll be on a stage exploring the extraordinary potential of AI and the profound change it represents, not just for financial markets, but also for the world as we know it. With over 5,000 attendees and over 150 side events, Singapore will become a vibrant hub for a full week from the 3rd and 9th of June. Visit superai.com to register and join me with 20% off tickets using the code REALVISION. Use the link in the description and I'll see you there. It's going to be incredible. Twenty twenty four bull or bust. Hi everyone, welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Greg Weldon, CEO of Weldon Financial. Hi, Greg. Happy New Hi. Year. And to you too. Love that we're kicking kicking off the new trading year with you. Um, mm -hmm. Not a great look for stocks to start the year, but I'm, I'm not I'm not sure anybody's too surprised at this, given what happened that sort of rally into year end. But we did see uh, the Nasdaq fall. Nasdaq down 1.6, S&P down about a half a percent. Dow looks like ticking into the green. The Nasdaq was off more than 2%, so not closing on its lows, which is interesting. Um, bond yields uh, also look like they're edging up a little bit earlier, but that 10-year remained anchored before below 4%. U.S. dollar up. Bitcoin has been moving, of course, as everyone waits to see about that ETF. So it's sort of a, a lot going on as people plug back in uh, from the holiday. What's top of mind for you as we kick off this new trading year? Well, I think it's interesting when you look at the stock market's action today. In fact, yeah, the tech sector gapped down the XLK in particular and the big names, you know, led the decline. But I thought it was interesting that one of the worst performing sectors was home builders and kind of mm -hmm. linked to the real estate sector. And it had been the best performing sector over the last month. And you talk about, you mentioned it, bond yields higher. And it was kind of the theory, the thought process this morning when I when I started looking at the markets, you know, two o'clock this morning. It's like, well, bond yields have risen, and that's why stocks are down. Well, maybe bond yields, you know, up and down here. We got supply issues with bonds. We could talk all day about. The fact of the matter is, the 2025 Fed funds futures hasn't moved at all since last week. All right, mm -hmm. the 2020 end of 2024 rose, uh, you know, a few basis points. It's still below four. So this is not because all of a sudden there's this rethink over the Fed or bond yields are rising. There's any real risk here. When you see that you had enormous gains in a lot of these sectors, you know, justifiable to some extent, especially when you start to think about lower mortgage rates, we don't have enough homes and this kind of thing. You see the leading sectors and include tech where you're taking profits, you had it run up. And I think, you know, you had some buying towards late in the week last week, kind of boost up that year end, you know, incentive payment kind of thing. You know, so you have to talk about all of that in the context of has anything fundamentally changed? Right. And I think you could say that technically this market is overextended because you're pricing in Nirvana. Fed's going to go to 4% next year. We're not going to have a recession. And what's the upside here? I mean, you've priced the upside. So you deserve to have some kind of correction. The dollar really kind of was the leader of the pack in terms of the importance of the moves because it bounced from a key level. It looks like a longer term breakdown. We know as going forward, the economy, you know, we have some key numbers, obviously, this week. But last, you know, the last month's numbers were really not good at all. And you have another issue that is right in front of us that not a lot of people are talking about. 
which is the banking system. And some of the numbers out of the Fed on loans, on security holdings, on their term facility program. Uh, so there's a lot going on underneath the surface in the banking system, let alone the Middle East, all right, where energy prices are on the verge of breaking down into what could become a much escalated conflict. So I think yeah. that the market's priced in kind of best case scenarios in a lot of ways, and I'm not sure that's how it's going to play out. Yeah, and you just mentioned a lot of the risks that were out there, um, and and some of them have have sort of accelerated, especially when you're talking about what's happening in in the Middle East. The, the market was just looking right through all of that at the end of the year, and we and you know we we, we discussed at great length on this show why that might have been the case, but it sounds like you think the markets are or investors are too complacent. Complacency is the exact word I would use. You nailed it on the head, on the head here. I mean, it is. And when you kind of think about the Middle East, it's not just the Middle East. And you have much bigger picture dynamics going on here. You have Xi has told Biden allegedly at their powwow, look, we're taking Taiwan back. You know, get get with the program or, or don't. You know, it's going to be your choice. But we're letting you know. It's not going to be a surprise attack. He announced it today. I mean, you know, literally first day of the year, he comes out and says, we will be unified. Don't stand in the way. This is going to happen. And when you look at now threats against Japan, threats against Korea, we already have the dust-ups with the Philippines. We know there's issues with Vietnam and gas rights. You know, China is making a move here. They're, you know, colluding with Russia. You have Iran and, and you know, Saudi Arabia kind of together. And when you look at that side of the world, you look at the Red Sea, you look at the Persian Gulf, you look at the shipping, you look at oil, you look at where China is. It's pretty obvious to the naked eye where we're at with this being a much bigger geopolitical picture that has far more, uh, you know, far reaching, you know, tentacles of what this could mean longer term. And I think that the market has not even begun to deal with any of that. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity to be created there too. But this, you know, I look at 2024 as a year where you're going to see things that you really couldn't have envisioned seeing uh, and some of the things that I think we could envision seeing. And that's what well, we're, we're going to dig into that a little bit in just a minute. And that's worrying because the, this is, you know, what you, some of the other issues we were worried about are talking about inflation, the Fed. Th those are more quantifiable, right? You can be on either side of the argument. Yeah. There's a difference in that. In fact, I heard someone say New Year, same debates, mm -hmm. because there's still a lot of disagreement about those things. You start to get into geopolitical issues. Yeah. Th this becomes much dicier. It's yeah. so hard to, to game out. Um, what happens in those circumstances add to that. We're in an election year. And just a oh. reminder to underscore what Greg's talking about. Uh, again, Maersk suspending all shipping because of what's happening now. We talked about that right before we all broke for the holiday, halting all Red Sea shipping until further notice. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have uh, ASML with the chips again, with the US and China sort of you know heated up on that front. So there is a lot going on. I just want to mention, by the way, um, Greg is the latest member of our RV marketplace, which we are super excited about. Uh, we look forward to seeing all of his reports and research there. If you haven't checked it out yet, I encourage you to head over. Uh, it's realvision.com forward slash marketplace. Um, and you can see everything. You can see the offers that RV members get. Um, Brian's showing you what it looks like on the screen right now. So super excited to have you, Greg. But I know one of the one of the things that you're focused on, we're talking big picture as we start the year. Um, so we have geopolitical. We, you're also very worried about debt levels. 
How, well, how yeah, I mean, that... record amount of debt posted in 2023, $307 trillion. I mean, try and sink your teeth into that number. It's astronomical. I mean, you know, and of course, this is one of those things, same same conversation beginning every year. But this has reached a kind of a critical mass point to me when you're talking about the trend in interest rates, which has gone from a 40-year downtrend to, a, you know, the new uptrend. So in that context, you're going to have stress. And I think people understand that. But it, it gets really specific here in the U.S. And not to be a gloom and doomer, but, you know, we get paid to assess risk. And here's where the risk is. All right. Right now, you have a situation where you're looking at the banks in particular. You saw recently over the last three weeks, they bought 92 billion worth of securities and loans are down by around 20 billion. You look at what's going on with small banks. Their deposits are exactly where they were two years ago. They have not changed at all. I mean, you're within hundreds of millions. It's really tight, right, to two years ago. In the meantime, lending has gone you know, off the chart. And the growth now on lending is about $250 billion a year right now for small banks, what the Fed classifies as small banks, whereas deposits are now shrinking at an unprecedented level. And what happens? All of a sudden, the Fed's term funding facility, which is kind of the emergency thing they set up back in March for ABB, right, is getting tapped. $20 billion in the last four weeks. It's at a new high of close to $140 billion. I look at this as like, this is sending a signal that we have some issues in the banks, probably in the small banks. So who cares, small banks, right? Well, 1990, small banks were 15% of all loans. Now they're 42% of all loans. And that goes to the extent that commercial real estate, small banks you know, hold 80% of the commercial real estate loans. And there's like 1.7 trillion you know, maturing in the next year and a half. When you look at the debt maturing in emerging markets, it's off the charts. Even in the industrialized nations, look at something like 13 trillion in debt that matures in 2024. So you have real issues with interest rates, low, to, low, low interest rate debt that is you know, going to have to be refinanced, especially in emerging markets. It's huge in 2024. So these are a lot of the risk points that are more kind of you know, the things we're used to seeing in terms of macroeconomics, aside from the geopolitical, aside from what you mentioned, which can't be understated, the division in this country and the potential for civil unrest in a political situation is going to be a circus in 2024. Which, is, again, is not something that we are used to discussing as a risk when you're talking about developed countries, certainly the U.S. I mean, the yeah. idea of, of, of civil unrest is something that we, you know, we usually talk about um, in, in different parts of the world. So that is that is a risk. How and, and, Maggie, you- and Maggie, that opens the door for China here. They want to take Taiwan. I mean, we're too busy mm-hmm. with our own situation. You got people flooding in the country. I mean, it's a it's a mess. We look weak, you know, geopolitically. We pull out of Afghanistan. They're in there immediately building a road into Africa. Why? For resources, you know. So the degree to which this political situation could be kind of the, you know, the smoke screen that allows China to really break loose here. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, when we are going to be, you know, focused on that and 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 touching on the geopolitical aspect of this as we as we move through the year, because it's going to be very important. And it's that sort of when you're looking at the the risks for the market, something that's high up. Talk to me a little bit, um, Greg, by the way. Um, for those who are watching on video, oh, there he is. Okay, yeah. Skype is just very unhappy these days. Um, yeah. So we, we we're freezing a little bit, but as long as our audio uh, yeah. is okay, we're going to keep going. So don't worry if it, it's not your eyes, people. Yeah. <laughs> we're all slow to move. It's not the new year. Uh, it's us, but we're going to persevere. So in terms of the 
Um, and and I think uh, the crypto RX um, in on the YouTube chat is. I think uh, underscoring some of what you're bringing up, Greg, saying the bond market's broken, housing market is breaking, unemployment is rising. How is there an argument for being bullish? So I think that it's really important as we talk about these risks, and you mentioned it before, that you have to watch out for the risks and understand the probabilities, but in volatility, there are also opportunities. So how are you thinking about the markets here? Um, you know, Are we gonna see that continued volatility are you taking a bearish posture or or do you see opportunity in some in some of these areas? Yeah, I don't think you can be bearish here. Uh, I think that is corrective mode if we have a downside move, at least for now, until something gets you know uncovered with, with the digging in terms of banks or geopolitical pops off or something. Uh, certainly could exacerbate what would have been a correction and make it something worse. Mm -hmm. That would be my kind of fear here. Uh, I think that when you look at the Fed and you look at where inflation actually is, all right, so you're, you know, let's call the core rate 4% and the Fed's, you know, five and a half, all right, they're where they want to be, you know, sufficiently restrictive. Inflation falls below three, which is a very real possibility. I mean, let's look at gasoline, right? The two-year moving average of gasoline right now is falling below the level we've seen in two years. So these are new lows. And now the base effect in gasoline is going to start kicking in. And it's going to, it was kind of the one thing that could have led inflation higher that now is probably going to remain a negative. So you have inflation fall to three, and suddenly the Fed at five and a half is punitively tight. Mm. And in that case, you could see them cut rates to four. So that you can't really necessarily be bearish in that situation because you know the, if the market corrects, then the Fed would tend to maybe start to even talk a little dovishly as opposed to you know just kind of this shifting of the narrative. It becomes outright dovish rhetoric, which we really haven't seen yet. So mm. I, I think there's risk to being bearish here. Uh, I do think a lot of this key is off the dollar. The dollar holds the key here, and that kind of links back to the Fed, and it links back to what's going to happen the next time there's a problem, and that gets back to the banking system, of course, again, because what happened back in March? Well, in March, outside of three weeks in 2020 at the height of the pandemic, the week of March when SVB failed, that's the most money the, print, the Fed printed in one week ever, all right, ever. They're doing QT, and they print the most money ever in one week for one or two banks. Imagine you have a small bank issue, and that raised the question, okay, small banks. Actually, banks below $10 billion in assets control 35% of commercial real estate loans in this country. So when do you define, if you have 10 or 15 banks that are $25 billion in assets, is that a too large to fail conglomerate of banks? You know, so how much money mm. could they print? So I think the dollar is at risk because ultimately that's going to be the lever. And I think that's what makes certain commodities attractive certainly makes the crypto area attractive and it makes gold and silver attractive, even though they might be kind of tied to the stock market if it gets whacked, you know, in the, in the initial phases here. But when mm -hmm. I look at the bigger picture of debt and money printing and debasement of the purchasing power of your wealth, income and, and paper money, it's pretty much clear to me that gold will be higher by the end of the year. So that's so interesting, your point about small banks, because it's that it's that it's not just the banks themselves. It's that, that connection and exposure to commercial real estate, there has been a, an extend and pretend, right? Like everyone's, the, many people have come on and talked about the ticking time bomb that is commercial real estate when they have to reset and refinance. Some of these yeah. projects will not, you know, won't come back. Some of these office parks and buildings, but it hasn't been in anyone's interest to call anyone on the mat on it, right? Because everyone's kind of on the hook. If there's a problem in the banking sector, 
that sort of changes, doesn't it? Because that bank that's been working with that commercial lender, who knows what happens then if we yeah. see some of them go under. Does the, do you, do you, is that a motivation for the Fed to maybe accelerate its plans to ease? Do you think that they're looking at the impact the higher rates have on the banking system and they're concerned about it, even though they haven't said anything? I think that's why they made the shift they did in December. I really do. I wrote that immediately. I said, they know something we don't know. And we kind of already knew what was happening. This is the very early stage of this flip in the long term, the mm -hmm. funding facility they use, right, that they just opened in March. And this is something I've been all over. So I think that's exactly why they shifted. All right. There was no reason they had to do that other yeah. than something we don't know. Because inflation at four doesn't warrant them saying we could see not only did they reverse, they were more dovish than the, the, the futures market was which was really dovish. That's what was shocking. They when they went Mandelbaum. They took it up a notch big time. And when you talk about that too, we cannot uh, forget the fact that since uh, the middle of 2021, you have the Fed, uh, the Treasury has increased the public debt by $9.97 trillion. It took 37 years to create $9.97 trillion from 71 to, to 2007. It took us 14 quarters to increase the debt by that much. Not only that, in the last quarter, third quarter, federal debt, which, you know, public debt, let's call it what it is, public debt up 835 billion, one of the largest quarterly increases ever, all right? Mm -hmm. Coming on the back of one of the largest quarterly increases ever. They're still doing it, you know, transfer payments are still 4 trillion annualized, all right? They're still spending money like crazy. The problem is that debt held, public debt held by the public rose by $870 billion in the last quarter, which is the second highest ever. So when does this become, we're a bankrupt country that can't afford to help uh, these other countries anymore, and we really, you know, we have all these now new obligations to all these people flooding into the country, and yet what we're doing is taking from the people that would might get Social Security in the future so we can pay our obligations now, and we're basically borrowing from the future to pay for now, and we're borrowing from the public and then selling them the bonds back, and then, you know, we're going to devalue the currency that those bonds are priced in. Does this not begin to sound like if this were an, a, an institution, these people would be going to prison? I mean, yeah. this is kind of like you might call it the biggest Ponzi scheme in human history. Yeah. So, you know, you have to keep that in mind, too. The U.S. debt is problematic. And I think it's come to a point where it's going to have to be dealt with. Yeah. And, and as you say, the important thing for investors is what happens to the U.S. dollar in right. that. 100%. In that situation, um, because we haven't seen that. We had a lot of conversations about that. We always come back to people saying, well, there is no alternative. Um, but we've got some interesting stuff happening with crypto. So let me get a question here. By the way, welcome back, everyone in the chat. We missed you. We hope you missed us. Um, and I hope everyone had a great break uh, and a chance to reset uh, and refresh because we are going to need it, as we see from this first day. So uh, Ralph asking, but others are too. Um, any thoughts on, I'm going to separate these, Ralph. He's got a whole list of them, but any thoughts on Bitcoin? And Federico asking, since everyone seems bullish on crypto now, isn't this a signal for having the opposite reaction from the market? So how are you, how are you thinking about crypto here, especially with that potential ETF? Of course, we don't know. It's not a, it's not a given, but we, a lot of builds up that perhaps it's finally going to get approved. How are you thinking about 
crypto here. Greg. There's a lot going on there and there's a lot of uncertainty. You got the halving coming up potentially maybe around April and you know how that's going to affect the supply. To me, it's a simple supply demand function like any other market. Right now, demand is rising. Supply is kind of static. And you went through a period where kind of the, the cost of production, if you will, was above the price, right? So I think that you know, we got bullish at around 21,000, I think, on, on your program. And, you know, we said 47 to 48 was our first target. We're kind of there. So a pullback now would seem to be technically warranted. But this is long-term technicals, too, that are kicking in. You know, I see Bitcoin ultimately at new highs. And I think it could happen fairly quickly in the first half of this year. Uh, so we're bullish there. I'm actually a little, maybe even a little more bullish on Ethereum for, you know, its wider uses. And it doesn't. You know, it has some of the it doesn't have some of the quirks that Bitcoin has, too, in, in terms of that. It probably could take in more money even. Uh, but the extent to which this is still a market that, you know, a small amount of money coming in could drive it a lot higher. So I think that, you know, we're bullish. It's just that simple. And it plays in with the dollar, too. Exactly. And you asked about the dollar because, you, because that was another another scenario where Bitcoin and Ethereum would, would really benefit from this. All right. Because we're talking about you have a political chaos here in the U.S. You have division you know, like you've never seen before, right? At the same time, now you're talking about a situation with the debt, where all of a sudden now you have refundings that don't go well, the dollar gets hit, interest rates are going up, and this is kind of hurting the economy. I mean, would there be a perfect time for China to play the dollar card? And while there are issues around the dollar card being played by China, uh, you know, in terms of liquidity and debts and bond markets and all the things that people talk about, but their goal is to dominate and their manifest destiny in Asia, and their goal is to weaken us. What better time if we have some issue with the dollar going forward for them to come in and say, look, you know, our exports, we want renminbi for them. Our imports, we're only paying renminbi for them. As the largest trader in the world, they're going to have that kind of power. And it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But in those kinds of circumstances, it's bullish for Bitcoin, not only from the U.S. perspective, but, you know, look at all the places. Myanmar and Thailand are kind of at each other's throats. You start to talk about all the places where you can't run out to the bullion dealer or you don't have an account where you can buy GLD or something. What do you do? You got a phone, you got an app, you buy Bitcoin in all these currencies potentially. So I think the potential demand is huge and we're pretty bullish right here from a long-term technical perspective as well. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens over the course of the next month. So because if your head is spinning, thinking about all of the things that we have to hold in this space, I don't blame you. Um, but in addition to the to the marketplace and trying to get all of our, our great partners in one place where you can kind of dive in, we are also, uh, January is going to be education month here on Real Vision because we really, I think Ralph put a video out saying we've just all got to really make sure we sharpen our skills and understand what's happening. So uh, week three will be crypto. We will be talking all about crypto from an education point of view, not just the news flow. Ash and Arthur will be doing that as well, and we will talk about it here, but there's an education portion to that. Um, but we're going to have a lot of other stuff as well. We're going to do a personal finance week, which is kind of new for us. Um, but it's kicking off this week with My Life in Four Trades. We sat down with some real masters, as we always do, and talked to them about their best trades and worst trades. Uh, and I had the chance to sit down with David Rosenberg, who many of you will know well, uh, to share what he's learned about investing in life. Here's a clip from that. So I remember my first day, my, well, my first day in the job was the crash. 
Uh, this Which is just crazy, by yeah. the way. I said, well, my, my boss said to me, uh, Aaron Gapley says, did you, did you read Barron's? I, what's Barron's? He says, never come to the office again without reading Barron's and without reading Alan Abelson's up, up and down Wall Street. Don't never come in if you don't. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was um, starting at, the, at Scotia. Yeah. Uh, and um, I'm walking around with Warren Jeston. He's the chief economist. Aaron Gamble, he's the assistant chief. And we're going, and I, I'm like, I'm the newbie. It's my first day on the job. And I don't know how many pairs of underwear that I brought with me that day, but it wasn't enough. <laughs> but I'm just standing by on the wall and we're going to office. We're going to the whole Treasury Department, but then we're going all the way up to the CEO. Okay. Uh, and all the senior, all day long. And I'm following these two guys along and they had the charts showing that this was a liquidity event. This is not a fundamental event. Uh, They're and making their case. Making their case. There's no recession coming out of this. And you want to start adding to risk almost immediately. The Fed's Which is this was a, amazing. It was, right, it was the right call. Well, I learned the difference between a solvency crisis and an economic crisis and a fundamental crisis and something that's more of a liquidity crisis. It's such a great conversation with David. It was so fun to be able to do it with him in person as well. But it's exactly what we were talking about before. I mean, baptism by fire, first day work, the 87 crash. But then seeing, understanding the difference, what kind of crisis you're in, and then being able to look for the opportunity once you establish it. That's exactly the kind of thing that we all need to be doing if we face the risks that Greg talks about. Do we really understand what they are? And then- you know, what do we want to avoid and what do we want to jump into? That's going to be really key. So I encourage you to check it out. It's on the platform. I mean, it will be podcast available as podcast as well. Um, but we'll have, be having some more coming up, including Diego Perillo, who's also amazing. So, um, and D Smith, whose life is a book. Um, so they're coming your way this week. So check it out, but we're going to have great stuff all month. All right. We got to dive into some questions. So Greg, we haven't touched on oil yet. And John has a question on that thoughts on the fact that oil prices are so low in light of the geopolitical issues you mentioned, you would think oil would be challenging all-time highs. You would. And, you know, we were pretty bullish on oil beginning in the second week, third week of July. And uh, we were looking for like 107 and we didn't get it. We got a nice rally, made a little bit of money, not as much as we had hoped. But um, I think, you know, the problem with this thought process is that in July, it was bullish through the fourth quarter because you had a, you know, a supply deficit and it was significant, about two and a half to three million barrels a day. So you're drawing down inventories, which has taken place. But the market kind of got ahead of the next turn. Frankly, I was a little surprised by how quickly we got ahead of the next phase, which is kind of a, maybe a supply build to some extent. But I think the bigger picture in oil is really interesting to me. You're on the verge of a breakdown. First of all, I, I watch Brent, you know, North Sea Brent really religiously. And, uh, you know, anywhere below, say, 72.67 is kind of a key low that we've seen in the March futures contract. If that level gets taken out, you're already kind of rolled over. The moving averages are turning down. Technically speaking, it doesn't look good. What would be the fundamental process here? Why would oil be going down when all this is popping off in the Middle East? Well, I think you can see oil come down hard and then go way up hard, too. When we talk about 2024, by the way, and we talk about what you know, uh, Mr. Rosenthal was talking about, Rosie, my buddy, um, you're talking about volatility like we've never seen before, I think. You know? So you have to be prepared for that. And it's, you know, we kind of got a glimpse of that toward in the fourth quarter of this year, too, when things will be so high up. And it's like NFL football. 
one week you're going to the Super Bowl, the next week you're not going to make the playoffs. It's like every week <laughs> is something completely different. That, High emotions, right? Yeah, there's Seriously, a, yeah, I'm it's sure like there's that. a couple of people sitting in yeah. the who, who who feel the pain of that. And you look at oil, you really have to look at Saudi Arabia because they're the key. They've been the one that cut output, that cut, caused this shortage, that drove prices up. But at the same time, Saudi Arabia has a 6% you know, central bank policy rate. Their inflation is 1.7. They're crushing the economy. Exports down 17% year over year in the most recent data, right? GDP for the third quarter was down 4.4 versus being up 2.1 in the third quarter. That's year over year. So the question becomes, how much do they hold off the market to boost prices versus how, when are they going to sell more to gain revenue and to kind of help fix the economy to whatever extent? This is a very wide kind of gap between the answers to that question. Mm. And when you talk about the geopolitical side of it, you know, Saudi Arabia kind of linked up. You got Shia and Shiite talking and, you know, Saudi is, is in with Iran, is in with China, is in with Russia. And then you start talking about the Middle East again. And then you start talking about the U.S., you know, hitting Iraq. You talk about Israel took out an Iraqi, uh, excuse me, an Iranian Revolutionary Guard leader last week in a strike in Syria. Right. They took out a Hezbollah leader in, uh, I think, also Syria. Maybe it was Lebanon. I'm not sure. I don't think it was Lebanon. Somewhere else in Iraq, actually. So you're talking about this thing is heating up already. But you could have a thing where maybe you get some kind of announcement from OPEC, Russia, Saudi Arabia, for sure. I'd watch where they're going to kind of re reopen the spigots and that would maybe drive prices down to where you could have an amazing buying opportunity. Because I think when you look at points further out in the year, you'll see oil much higher than it is now. But mm -hmm. I think that's going to go lower first. Yeah, inter interesting. So uh, let's see if we can grab a couple one um, from Doug. Do you have a short-term downside correction target? I'm assuming he's talking about stocks. Yeah, well, looking at the S&P, I mean, the, 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 the obvious level is, you know, sometimes the obvious levels are really good. 46.35 is kind of your breakout pivot. You could go all the way down to 4,500, which is some of the longer-term moving average dynamics. Uh, I wouldn't want to see it below 4,500 and think that you're going to stay long if you're a longer-term player. I think that's the time to take some protection. Uh, I do see a corrective. I mean, the action in the XLK is a little troubling. It's a gap down. I see stuff like the staples breaking out. I see the healthcare breaking out. Those are defensive areas. So that, too, to me. I think what we do here is we do one of our products called the Portfolio Playbook. And what we do is we try to take this whole approach. We take some quant, we take some technical and even some psychology and whatnot. And we try to find the sectors, you know, what is going to outperform the S&P. Right now, the stuff that are breaking out against the S&P is like the uh, PPH, the drugs, the healthcare, uh, the, uh, and the, of course, the real estate, uh, anything that has to do with home building, uh, even though that's high and maybe that needs to correct a little bit too in terms of the home builders. But you have sectors that are always going to perform. So we look to identify those and move, you know, the bulk of allocations in a portfolio into those sectors. I mean, right now, the breadth has improved during the rally, but we'll see how it acts on this, what I think will be a little bit of an extended decline. I don't think the market bounces back right away. But then again, that's what this market has done. You know, it's kind of like bounce back Betty, you know, this market. Yeah. It's, it's, and you, uh, you have, you have to be careful. And you have to be careful. Timing yeah. is timing is tough. A lot of people have been getting yeah. caught out on that. Yeah. Last question I'm going to have time for uh, from Aqualover. 
please advise gold roadmap for 24. Yeah, gold higher roadmap. <laughs> I mean, um, what's interesting is so I'm putting together a special report for 2024 and it's massive and it covers all of this and then some. And what we what we did was I, I there's something I do when I do you know speeches and stuff. You take kind of money supply and debt, and then you, you know, I'm not a gold standard guy. I mean, that's ridiculous to think you're going back to a gold standard, right? But let's just for fun say, what's the true value of gold? You know, what is it relative to all this paper? Well, you can kind of calculate that based on how much gold is above ground and how much money is out there. And uh, the prices are pretty high. Now, that's a theoretical because you're never going to see those prices. I think 2650 will be seen this year. And I think that will be earlier in the year. Of course, the risk is the stock market melts down and everything goes down. And that gets back to the banks, by the way. I can't not uh, mention that the worst thing that could happen right now is a credit crunch. you got to watch the bank numbers weekly, the loans and leases. Within the decline we've seen over the last three weeks in, in uh, loans, total loans of all kinds, credit card loans down 65% of the decline in bank loans right now is in credit card loans. So we know where the consumer is. Savings are gone. You know, Transfers are turning down now. We know the situation with still, even though wages are, have come up a little bit, inflation is still higher. So you know, real wage growth is still zero at best. So you know, watch the consumer and how that plays out because you get a credit crunch, and let alone, God forbid, something pops off and you get energy back up and inflation goes up, the, the consumer is going to be choking, like probably like we've not seen in a long, long time. So Which a lot of all that risk comes back to, to keeping not, an eye on this all the time and being active, nimble, and willing to be in and out to some degree. Fantastic advice. Uh, we've got a lot on our plates, but we're ready for it. Greg, no. thank you so much. Great way to kick off the year. My pleasure. You guys do a great job. So kudos to you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Uh, for everyone watching, we, as I said, we're going to January's Education Month. We'll have more coming your way, and we'll tell you a little bit more about what's in the box. And if you are not a Real Vision member, sign up for free so that you make sure you get all the notifications um, and stay on top of what's coming your way, right? Knowledge uh, and network. We're going to give you the tools to help you get through this. Happy to be back with everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back same time tomorrow. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. Hi. On the 5th and 6th of June, 2024, I'll be speaking at the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, at the iconic Marina Bay Sands. Alongside brilliant minds like Edward Snowden, Benedict Devon, and Balaji Srinivasan, I'll be on a stage exploring the extraordinary potential of AI and the profound change it represents, not just for financial markets, but also for the world as we know it. With over 5,000 attendees and over 150 side events, Singapore will become a vibrant hub for a full week from the 3rd and 9th of June. Visit superai.com to register and join me with 20% off tickets using the code REALVISION. Use the link in the description and I'll see you there. It's going to be incredible.